Good morning, Holfield. Would you stand with us, please, to begin worship this morning?
book of Samuel in the Old Testament, uh, we read about the prophet Samuel's sacrificing and his prayers to God to protect them 
there was an impending battle with the Philistines. Well, God delivered uh, his people from the Philistines, and uh, Samuel raised up a stone between two cities as a monument to God's blessings, and that stone was called Ebenezer. So now when we sing this song, it's our way of it's offering up an Ebenezer to our God for his blessings and his goodness towards us. praise for his blessings. Well, good morning again. Let's, uh, let's just take a few minutes and introduce yourself to somebody around you.
Good morning, Hopevale. It is good to be together this morning, even if it is a little rainy and overcast. That's okay. It's mid-October, and we'll take that any day of the week, right? Uh, so my name is Adam Harbaugh. I'm the outreach pastor here at Hopevale. And just a couple quick announcements this morning, some things we want to make you aware of. If you're relatively new at Hopevale, we have a uh, Get to Know Hopevale class that really is designed to just give you a better sense of who we are, what we believe, and how you fit into uh, what God is doing here uh, at this body that we call Hopevale. And so uh, if, if uh, that classifies as yourself, if you want to come and hear more about that, that class takes place in the venue at noon. So just stop by the Welcome Center, get signed up there, and then you're more than welcome to join them for that. Well, like I said, it is mid-October, and if you've been around Hopevale for a while, you know that that means we are launching Operation Christmas Child. And this is a ministry in partnership with Samaritan's Purse. Uh, basically, very simply, we invite everybody to fill a shoebox with toys, and then that gets shipped uh, to a child around the world to just uh, a practical way to express God's love to them. And there's been a neat connection uh, with this project and Hopevale, and I'm not going to be able to capture it as well as, <clears throat> excuse me, as Irene did on video. So we have a video we're going to watch together, so please take a look at that. I was born in Kenya, and I was born in a slum in a city uh, in Kenya. And I was born in a family of four biological kids. I always compare Christmas to like Thanksgiving here, where families meet, and it's a big feast, and it's cooking and eating. So Christmas was pretty much that. We didn't expect gifts, because, simply because families can't afford it. If we got something for Christmas, it would be something that you, you would use for the rest of the year. You had three choices to pick up, and that's if you needed a new uniform for school, or if you needed a dress, or a new pair of shoes. You had to pick wisely, so if I needed a uniform, that's what I would pick for Christmas. And even with that, my parents would not afford brand new stuff, so it would be a second-hand clothing. That was a special day. I get teary-eyed when I talk about it. To most people, they might think that it's something minimal. But to a kid like me, growing up in Africa where you don't have much, that was a treasure. And so that box is, is something embedded in my brain. The little things that I got in that box, I still remember up to this day. Like a toothbrush, uh, jumping ropes, these are things that were in my box. And, and to me, as a kid, 80-year-old kid who has not seen anything like that, I thought it was heaven. And I'm pretty sure all the other kids, along with me, thought the same thing, and we were overjoyed. Do you know what? I didn't have a toothbrush until that day. And I was eight years old, who had never used a toothbrush before. I can understand how those kids feel. It's like heaven on earth. They are not joking, they're not playing, they're not, it's not a plot, they're truly happy because you've made their day, you've made their year because me getting a pack of pencil, it's not something that I would get every year. I will get maybe one pencil to use for the whole year if my family would afford it. So when you give me a pack of pencil, that is treasure. I would uh, encourage everyone and anyone to participate in uh, doing this. Everybody loves gifts, and when you do that, 
you you start out something and for me that's that's how I started is wanting to know who are these people what do they have that other people don't have why would they even do this to anyone who doesn't know them people who don't even think they care so if we do that we're spreading this love and we're spreading the word of God which teaches us is to love love God and love one another just like he gave us that give us that commandment you're doing something that is the best and the foremost important commandment that we were given it's not the value of how much you're spending it's the little stuff you don't have to spend a lot of money five dollars will go a long way these kids will value what you send them and so my humble appeal is that everybody participate in this because you change somebody's life and they'll never forget about you and your love. Isn't that incredible? You know, we've, we've done, we've participated in this project for years, and every, every year we get up and we say, you know, the reminder that these boxes go and they impact one life. One box, one life gets impacted for Christ. And just what an incredible example uh, that Irene has for us, and a reminder just of the life that does get impacted by these gifts that we send out. So as she said, as she encouraged us, you know, let's participate in this. So whether you've been here for 20 years or this is your first Sunday, we would invite you to stop in the lobby after the service, pick up uh, as many shoeboxes as you want to fill and bring back to the lobby so that God's love would be spread uh, around the world to kids in need who just have that desperate need to, to get a practical gift and hear about a God who loves them. Uh, related to uh, Operation Christmas Child, but a little bit separate, if you have ever wanted to see the second stop in your shoebox's journey, it actually gets sent down to Charlotte, North Carolina, to Operation Christmas Child's Processing Center. And over the years, we've also sent some teams down to that processing center to help sort through literally millions of those shoeboxes before they're, they're sent to kids around the world. And so if that's something that sounds interesting to you, we'd encourage you to stop by the Connect, Grow, Serve desk this morning to get a little bit more information. Uh, the deadline to sign up is actually this Thursday because we want to try to get some great airfare uh, locked in for that team. Uh, so just think a lot of things to take into consideration and just encourage you to participate in those things. And as we continue uh, worshiping this morning, I want to invite the ushers to come forward as we prepare to give and just the reminder that uh, the gifts that we give back to God, just the way that they are going to be used and to just make an impact in the name of Jesus all around the world. So let's go to the Lord in prayer as we prepare to give. Lord, we are grateful for just this opportunity to uh, be in your house this morning, worshiping you. God, and we also know that that's not just contained to this space and this place. God, we have the ability and the opportunity to worship you with our entire lives every moment of the week. And God, we hope that some of the things that we've talked about this morning are just some of those practical ways that we can do that, that we can live out our faith in a very practical way so that the world around us, around us knows how great you are, how real you are in our lives, God, and how you want to uh, just infiltrate the life of every person who's far away from you all to your glory so that you would be known. 
And so, Lord, as we give this morning, that is the, the heart and the motivation behind why we give. Lord, we don't do it out of obligation or a feeling that we have to. God, we want to because we know what you have done for us. And we want to give a portion of that back to you so that your kingdom would be able to continue to grow on this earth and that you would be made known. Uh, God, we love you and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Heavenly Father, we know that uh, we are not worthy to be in your presence. For you are the only one that is holy. You are the only one that is worthy. But you have provided us with a direct line to you through the sacrifice of Jesus. You are holy. You are worthy. And may your spirit work through us now and through the words of Pastor Dan as we hear your words through him. Through your grace and sacrifice, we pray. Amen. You can be seated. We have these songs that really are uh, glimpses into heaven. The last song we sung based on some words from the book of Revelation where we see the angels and the saints gathered around the throne of God, worshiping the Lamb who was slain, none other than Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. Well, last week we finished up our Live 168 series. How many of you were here for the conclusion last week? Right? So you all got your sticker? Yeah? You hooked up on the phone, right? Yeah? Excellent. So if you weren't here last week, we want to let you know that the 168 stickers that we handed out last week are available at both desks in the lobby. We also mentioned something about a t-shirt as well. You can go on our website. You can see here and get on there, and we're taking orders for another week or so through the 23rd. And like I said last week with this message, I mean, our hope is that it's not the end of a series, but the beginning of a new era where the people who call Hopefell their church home are committed to live every hour of their week, every era of their life, more and more for the Lord. Well, today we are beginning a new series entitled God in Me. God and Me, a series where we're going to take an in-depth look at the Holy Spirit, what the Bible teaches about him, and who he wants to be for us. Now, let me say right up front that I think this can be an extremely challenging series for us on several levels, to talk about the Holy Spirit with a large group of people like you. Challenging on several levels. First of all, it is challenging because of our ignorance. We just don't know. And when I use the word ignorance, I'm talking about either a lack of knowledge or a lack of familiarity, that there are people who have never heard of the Holy Spirit, and that even includes some who grew up going to church. They heard about God, they heard about Jesus, but somewhere along the line, mention of the Holy Spirit never quite came up, or if it did, it was very infrequent and incredibly low-key. Maybe that's you. No wonder well-known Christian author Francis Chan entitled his book on the Holy Spirit, Forgotten God, Reversing Our Tragic Neglect of the Holy Spirit. Forgotten God. And so whether it's neglect, ignorance, or lack of familiarity, for some of you, this might be the very first time that you hear biblical teaching about the Holy Spirit. But then beyond just ignorance, second, it's also challenging because of our confusion, We just don't know, or maybe we're not quite sure. Now, this group consists largely of Christians who come from all sorts of different denominational backgrounds. You can ask 10 different Christians what they think about the Holy Spirit, and it would be surprising if you got 10 different answers. So those who have roots with like charismatic or Pentecostal churches, where it seemed like the Holy Spirit was always talked about, much emphasis placed on things like speaking in tongues or highly expressive worship or miraculous gifts. But then you've got people coming at it from a different angle, maybe a Catholic or Lutheran or Baptist background, where it seemed like the Holy Spirit was rarely 
talked about. And when it was, it was usually done so with suspicion and reservation. But the Holy Spirit wasn't someone to be pursued. He was something to be feared. And so because of all these different perspectives, there's a tendency to want to do one of two things, either dig in your heels and staunchly defend your own viewpoint about the Holy Spirit, or go the other way and just downplay talk about the Spirit altogether, that because there's not 100% consensus agreement, then it's just not worth the hassle of bringing up, right? Ignorance, confusion. And then third, it's a challenging series because of our control. We just don't know. Or maybe we're not quite sure, or maybe we can't let go. The third one is where it gets personal, where it moves from a head issue you debate to a heart issue you resist. See, it's one thing to study the Bible and have a discussion with someone else about the Holy Spirit, and yes, discussions can get heated, But even then, you can keep the Holy Spirit at a distance and remain impersonal toward him. But it's another thing to understand deep down that the Holy Spirit has been given to Christians to affect our lives. Affect our lives. Now, that effect is meant to be for our good, but his work in us doesn't always feel good because the Holy Spirit is interested in far more than just affirming all our choices or fulfilling all our dreams. And yet, for his good, to be unleashed in our lives, it means giving up the control we like to hold on to, which we're often unwilling and unable to do. So you have ignorance, confusion, control. These are some of the biggest challenges we face coming into a series on the Holy Spirit. But let me tell you, pushing through and overcoming these challenges, it's going to be worth it. It's worth it because if you and I are going to experience all that God has for us in the Christian life, then the Holy Spirit needs to be part of that picture. Actually, a really huge and central part of that picture. Just like I said in our last series with the word picture of the sailboat, right? The Holy Spirit is the power power that moves us ahead toward Christian maturity and enables us to better live 168 for the Lord every hour of our week, every area of our life. We need the Holy Spirit. And so my goal for this series is for us to take on those challenges, to address our ignorance, to clear up our confusion, and to confront our control so that the Holy Spirit will be personally known and fully experienced in our lives and in this church. Now for a series like this one, I think of this Bible passage as our roadmap, a passage that not only talks about the nature of Scripture, but also its purpose. The Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy 3, 16 says this, that all Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And to learn about the Holy Spirit, you need to start with the Bible. The Bible, not a certain denomination, not a best-selling book, and not a well-known TV preacher. No, you always start with the Bible because the Bible is God's word to us. It is God speaking through human authors to deliver timeless truth in a way unlike anything else ever written. You see, human authors, they give us something that might be inspirational, But the Bible isn't just inspirational, it is inspired. Literally, you see here, coming from the very breath of God, it is God-breathed, and so to address our ignorance, confusion, and control, we need to look to the Bible. And yet, God gave us the Bible not just to educate our mind, he gave us the Bible to change our lives. 
All Scripture is God-breathed, and it is useful or it is profitable for teaching. It tells us, start this. Or for rebuking, it tells us to stop that. Or for correcting, it tells us to change that. Or for training in righteousness, it tells us to keep on continuing and doing that certain thing, so that the servant of God, that's you, that's me, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work, so that we as Christians can better live out in a 168 kind of way the love God, love people mission that God's given to all of us. And so today and all throughout this series, look to the scriptures as our guide to grow our understanding of what the Bible teaches, right, about the Holy Spirit and who he wants to be for all of us. Now, each week, including this one, we're going to talk about a particular activity or ministry of the Holy Spirit and how that ministry is meant to personally affect each one of us. Before we get to the one for today, I think it's good for us to first lay a basic foundation, okay? A basic foundation of three essential truths from the Bible when it comes to the Holy Spirit. Three essential truths. We'll, we'll think of it as Holy Spirit 101, if you will, okay? Three things you need about the, know about the Holy Spirit are these. First of all, that the Holy Spirit is a person. He's a person. He's not a net. He's not a thing. He's not a, a, a vague, impersonal power, and he's not the force like you see in Star Wars. No, when you look in the Bible, you see the Scriptures show the Holy Spirit to be a person with all the characteristics of a living, personal, relational being. John, in his gospel, spells this out in the words of Jesus, chapter 16, verse 13, when, he, when Jesus tells his disciples about the coming of the Holy Spirit that's going to happen in the future following his resurrection. John 16, verse 13, Jesus says, but when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will only speak what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. Not it, but he. The Holy Spirit is a person. Elsewhere you see in the Bible that the Holy Spirit has an intellect. He knows the thoughts of God. He has emotions. He loves. He grieves. He has a will. The Bible says that the Spirit teaches us. He prays for us. He comforts us. He guides us. These are all activities that a person does for someone else. We could go on and on, but I think you get the point. Now, why is this important for us to know? Well, just as we talk about having a personal relationship with Jesus, so too can we relate to the Holy Spirit in a personal way. See, if you think about the Spirit as an it or a force, then he remains impersonal and uninvolved in your life. But if you understand that the Holy Spirit is a person, then it changes your mindset to one of relationship and growth, that the Spirit is someone that we can know and pursue and grow closer to over time. So, the Bible teaches that the Holy Spirit is a person. Not only that, but the Bible also teaches that the Holy Spirit is God himself. The Holy Spirit is God. He's more than just an extension of God. He's more than just a manifestation of God. No, the, whole, the Bible teaches, Christians have affirmed throughout the centuries, that God, the Holy Spirit, along with God the Father, and God the Son, that's Jesus, make up what we know as the Trinity, right? This holy mystery, the Trinity, where God exists in three persons, each person is fully God, and yet there is also but one God. Now, we don't have the time nor the brain space, right, to fully explore the depths of the Trinity today. After all, theologians and philosophers have tried to make sense of that for the last 2,000 years. 
And yet, while it seems to push beyond the limits of our finite human understanding, we can't escape the fact that the Bible teaches the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are all fully God, and yet, while at the same time also affirming that there is one God. And so when it comes to the divine nature of the Holy Spirit, Scripture says that he's all-knowing, that he's all-powerful, that he's all-present, that he is able to perform miracles that defy this natural world. These are all characteristics of what? Of God himself. I think of uh, the beginning of Acts chapter 5, and the story in the early church of a married couple named Ananias and Sapphira. Now, the book of Acts is filled with all these wonderful stories of miraculous life change and exponential church growth. But in the midst of that, you have this one deceptive couple, Ananias and Sapphira. They just sold some property, and they wanted to share the proceeds with church leadership like many others were doing at the time. But unlike the rest, they misrepresented themselves, right? That they were giving away all their proceeds when, in fact, they greedily held some back for their own use. Well, this comes to light, and so in Acts chapter 5, verse 3, the apostle Peter confronts them. Ananias, he says, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit? And you have kept some for yourself of the money you received for the land. What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God, right? It's as straightforward as you can get. Peter equates lying to the Holy Spirit as lying to God. And so for us to say that the Holy Spirit is God, we are recognizing the Holy Spirit and all his greatness and all his goodness. This keeps us, what, from downplaying, diminishing his power, his authority in our lives. The Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is God. And then third, the Holy Spirit lives in you as a Christian. The Holy Spirit lives in you as a Christian. As amazing as these first two truths are, this one might be the most miraculous of them all, that God, the Holy Spirit, lives in you. The same Spirit present at the creation of this world, the same Holy Spirit involved in the miraculous virgin birth of Jesus Christ, the same Holy Spirit that later helped raise Jesus from the dead, this Holy Spirit lives in you as a believer in Jesus Christ. He lives in me, and it is absolutely mind-blowing to think about. Look at this passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. Paul writes, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? Who is in you whom you have received from God? You know, there are several verses in the Bible that we have to read multiple times to try to make sense of it, right? This isn't one of them, is it? No. This isn't one of them. The Holy Spirit lives in you. Do you not know? Because you should. Your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. Who is in you? Whom you have received from God? And by the way, do you notice the who and the whom there? More reminders that the Holy Spirit is a personal God, not an impersonal force. The Holy Spirit lives in every Christian. And his indwelling happened the very moment of our salvation. Look at these words from the Apostle Paul. Ephesians 1, verse 13. And all of you... And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promise, Holy Spirit, that upon us hearing and responding to the gospel of our salvation, we are placed in Christ, the Bible says. And in believing in that gospel, the Holy Spirit promised to us by Jesus marks us with a seal of his ownership, which tells us that we belong to God. 
being marked with the seal of the Holy Spirit tells us, tells the world, that we belong to God, both now and forever. We are his. Now, there's some great historical background behind this passage, right, about the, the, the significance of this word seal. It has to do with the ancient world of kings and emperors who would place, what, their royal seal upon hot, melted wax, right? It would signify that a letter, a document, a proclamation, whatever it is, that it belonged to the king and that whatever he decreed is final and cannot be overturned. So it is with the king over everything, right? God himself who places his Holy Spirit within every Christian believer at the moment of their salvation, proclaiming forever that you belong to God. You belong to God and that there is no enemy too powerful, no life event too tragic, no sin so wicked that can revoke what the God of this universe, the God of our salvation, has already decreed. That's what the seal of the Holy Spirit in our lives says. You know, that truth, that promise right there, that may be your takeaway for today. Maybe for this whole series, that there is nothing more assuring than this very reality for the believer in Jesus Christ. And because of Jesus, you belong to God now and forever, and the proof of that is found in the Holy Spirit who lives in you. Amazing. So God, the Holy Spirit, right, is a person. The Holy Spirit is God, and the Holy Spirit is in you as a Christian. These are our three foundational scriptural truths about the Holy Spirit that we're going to need not just today, but for all throughout this series. And as the weeks go on, I want to make sure we keep coming back to these because knowing and remember these truths will further enlighten everything else we learn and discover about the Holy Spirit. Well, I know that took a lot of time, but with that foundation in place, I want to spend the rest of today looking at one of the key ministries that the Holy Spirit has in our lives. And to do so, I need to add this disclaimer, okay? Are you ready for this? Prepare to be stretched. Prepare to be mystified. Prepare to be amazed because what we are going to discover today is going to push the limits of our finite human understanding. It is going to take us beyond the realm of the physical and into the spiritual. And yet that really shouldn't surprise us because after all, we are talking about none other, right, than God himself. And so to begin our discovery, I want us to look at a passage in the Gospel of John chapter 3. John chapter 3. It begins with the story of a man named Nicodemus. Nicodemus is an important religious leader during the time of Jesus. He is a member of the elite Jewish ruling council. Now in this particular story, we get the sense that Nicodemus is intrigued by everything he is hearing about Jesus, and he wants to find out more. But the problem is that all his peers on the council are adamantly opposed to what Jesus has been teaching and all the miracles he's been performing. So Nicodemus decides that he's going to visit Jesus incognito, undercover, without anyone else knowing. John chapter 3, verse 2. He, Nicodemus, came to Jesus at night, right, and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Nicodemus makes this honest statement to God, and you can tell it's troubling him, right? He's trying to square together his previous beliefs about God with his present observations about Jesus, and they don't really seem to be meshing. 
This is really just his long way of saying, I don't get it, Jesus. What's going on with you? Help me understand. And so how does Jesus respond? Verse 3. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. No one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Now on the surface, when you read this response, it looks like Jesus doesn't have a clue. It seems far different than what Nicodemus was talking about, right? And yet, as we see so often with Jesus, he gets to the heart of what the other person really wants to know. So even though they say or do one thing, Jesus responds on a deeper level. In other words, Jesus is saying something like this. Nicodemus, you're trying to make sense of my miracles and what they have to do with God, but you need to know that it's not about the miracles. No, it's about what the miracles point to. It's about me opening the way to the kingdom of God. And no one can see, no one can experience, no one can enter into this kingdom unless they are born again. I want you to hold on to that term, born again. We'll come back to it in a moment. And we need to come back to it, right? Because it is one of the most misunderstood and maligned terms, not just in all of Christianity, but also all of culture for that matter. Right? Born again, born again. They're a born again Christian, as if it's a specific brand or kind of, right? That's how people think. So Jesus says this in verse 3, and Nicodemus responds, how can someone be born when they are old, Nicodemus asked, surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Exclamation point. Now let's be clear. Nicodemus is part of the elite Jewish ruling council. Now he is no intellectual dummy, right? No, he's one smart dude, but here he is clearly whiffing on what Jesus was trying to tell him about the kingdom of God. See, Nicodemus is thinking in purely physical and logical terms. And this idea of being born again sounds like complete nonsense to him. But we know, don't we, that Jesus is using figurative language to make a spiritual point. So he helps Nicodemus out, verse 5. Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. The water here, by the way, is not a reference to baptism. Nor is it a reference to physical birth. No, Jesus is drawing upon Old Testament symbolic language that speaks about water with things like cleansing and renewal and spiritual transformation. Born of water in the Spirit, verse 6, pay attention to this, very important. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh. That's our physical birth. That's our first birth. That's when we are born the first time. And according to Jesus, us only being born this first time is not enough to enter the kingdom of God. No, there needs to be this second birth. And so Jesus says the Spirit, capital S, the Holy Spirit, gives birth to Spirit. No doubt about it, this is a reference to the Holy Spirit, and he is the one who causes us to be born again. The Spirit gives birth to our spirit. Jesus goes on, verse 7, you should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases, right? He's going to use this analogy. You hear it sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. To enter the kingdom of God, Jesus says you must be born again. We must be born again. And yet here's the problem or the challenge, or the obstacle, I should say, right? 
Just as you and I had no control over our first physical birth, we also have no control over our second spiritual birth. The flesh of our parents gives birth to our flesh, our body, but it is the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, who is God, who gives birth, who gives life to our spirit, that immaterial part of who we are. And it is beyond our control. That's why Jesus compares spiritual birth, spiritual renewal, to the blowing of the wind. We might see, we might hear the effects of the wind, but how it moves, where it moves, when it moves, it's all beyond our control. So it is, Jesus says, with everyone born of the Spirit. It is truly a supernatural mystery. Well, you, you walk through a passage like this and your mind just races with all sorts of questions, right? Wow, okay, born again. You must, you know, you must be born again to enter the kingdom of God. Wow, you know, and, and so with all the questions, let me take a stab at a couple answers, right? What exactly is the kingdom of God? What is this kingdom of God Jesus is talking about? Well, the kingdom of God is the reign of God and everything under that reign. The kingdom of God is the reign of God and everything under that reign. So that includes heaven and eternity, what we normally think of, but it also includes portions of God's creation here and now. The church of Jesus Christ is part of the kingdom of God. We as individual Christians are part of the kingdom of God. So yes, Jesus is saying you can't go to heaven after you physically die if you haven't been born again, but he's also referring to our lives right now, okay? Where we as Christians live as part of his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. On earth as it is in heaven. There is the connection. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless they have been born again. So here's another question. Well, where does believing in Jesus and his gospel fit into all this, right? Virtually every week here at Hopewell, we talk about believing and trusting in Jesus Christ as your Savior. And so you might be thinking, well, isn't that what brings us into relationship with God, right? Isn't that the basis of our assurance of heaven? And my answer to that would be yes. It's yes, but it is yes with an asterisk. We are called to respond to the love of Jesus and the good news of his gospel that he died on the cross in our place for our sins and was victorious over sin and death through his resurrection. And he invites us all to know him personally, right? This is what the Bible says it means to be a Christian. But when you add a passage like we just looked at into this equation, you realize a genuine spiritual conversion is much more than just a human decision. That's somehow, way beyond our control in the realm of the supernatural. The Holy Spirit has to work in our hearts to make us receptive, responsive to that gospel. Theologians call this regeneration, that the work of the Holy Spirit takes a spiritually dead heart and makes us alive to God. Mysterious, no question. Beyond our control, beyond our understanding, definitely. Just like the wind, but even more so. See, the point is this, we can't make ourselves born again, right? So yes, we must be born again to enter the kingdom of God, but that can only come as God the Holy Spirit works in us. See, Scripture makes it clear that because of our sin, all of mankind apart from Christ is spiritually dead. Everyone apart from Christ, including you, including me, is spiritually dead. And because of that deadness, it means we all on our own are spiritually unable to respond to the gospel. It's hard to grasp. It's hard to think about. But this is what the Bible teaches. No, the only way 
right? Mystery beyond our control, much like the wind, is for the Holy Spirit to give us new birth, to take what is dead and make it alive. Look at this passage. The Apostle Paul, he's speaking to Christians in Romans chapter 8. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life to our spirit. The Spirit gives life to our spirit because of righteousness. The Holy Spirit of God is the one who gives us spiritual life. Now look at this, verse 11. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. In the same way, right, that the Holy Spirit worked in raising Jesus from the dead, he also awakens us from our spiritual deadness to new life as well. He is the one who causes us to be born again. He is the one who makes us spiritually alive and responsive to Jesus and his gospel. And as it says right here, the same Holy Spirit lives in every believer in Jesus Christ, and he gives us the power to better live for him. It's absolutely incredible. It says right here, the Spirit who lives in you. Now, I know we've taken in a lot today. This is quite the, the, the fire hose of, of, of passages and information for a series opener, but as we begin to wind down, and, and maybe you're trying to soak this all in, I just want us to pause for a moment and marvel, okay? To marvel at what we just read. To not gloss over everything we've covered, move on to the next thing, but to take a step back, to appreciate new everything we've taken in. See, because what we just read, these aren't just words, okay? They're not just words, they're signposts. They're signposts to a greater and deeper and eternal reality. You may have noticed that today's message is entitled, Rescue Me, and I chose those words because the work of the Holy Spirit that we have seen in these passages today is nothing short of a life-saving miracle, right? A life-saving miracle that changes the course of our eternal destiny. And it is a work that we so desperately need, but none of us on our own are able to accomplish it. We need to be rescued, and the only one who can take the deadness of our spiritual condition and make us come alive is the Holy Spirit. Because what did Jesus say? The Spirit gives birth, the Spirit gives life to our spirit. He's the one who does it, the only one. And so because of that very fact, those of us who are Christians here, we cannot take even a shred of credit for our salvation. Not even the tiniest little shred of credit, right? No, it is the life-giving spirit who opens our eyes, who opens our hearts to the beauty and the necessity of the gospel of Jesus. Mystery, no question about it. How does it exactly work? I'm not quite sure. But if you know Jesus personally as your Lord and Savior, my hope is that this reality will lead you to greater gratitude and deeper worship, to get you to the place where you are truly praising God from whom all blessings flow. But I also realize that with a gathering this size that not everyone here probably knows Jesus in a personal way like this. Right? You may know about him, that is, there's not ignorance or confusion on your part, but when it comes to trusting him, when it comes to surrendering to him, you've been unwilling and unable to do that. See, it's one thing to say, I don't believe, because like Nicodemus, you don't understand, but it's another thing to say, I won't believe, right? Because you don't want to give up 
control. That is the internal struggle that goes in the place of every human heart. Listen, I can't make you do anything, but the Holy Spirit can. And so my prayer for you is that the Holy Spirit in his mysterious ways, just like the wind, would move in your heart and bring your spirit to life because the same spirit who raised Jesus from the dead is able to awaken your heart so that you can see your need for a Savior, so that you can give your life over to Jesus. And today would be the day that the Spirit does that work in your heart such a way that you can say yes to Jesus as your Savior wherever you may be with the Lord, right? I'm so thankful for the Holy Spirit. You should be too. Who rescued us, who gave us birth, who gave life to our spirit, who caused us to be born again, and because of that, we now belong to God. We are part of his kingdom now and forever. Let's pray together. Father, I I thank you we thank you for showing us anew, like with, with fresh eyes, who the Holy Spirit is, who he has been for us. That the Spirit gives us birth, gives life to our spirit, so that we may call upon Jesus and walk with him forever. That we may experience the abundance of his salvation in our lives. God, we thank you for that. How it works, it's a mystery. We don't fully understand. But thank you that it does work. Thank you that through the gracious, loving, victorious work of the Holy Spirit, you take our dead spirits, our our passive spirits, make them come alive that we may know and give our lives to Jesus and then walk with him. Father, we're excited about what you're going to do in this series, but even now, excited for the work that you're going to do in all our hearts. Some of us today needed to be challenged. We've been resistant. We're unwilling, unable to give up control of our lives. May the Holy Spirit loosen that control that we may know Jesus as Savior and Lord. For others of us, we need to be encouraged. And so encourage us. Encourage us that you have placed your spirit in us as a seal, as a guarantee that we belong to you, God, now and forever. And for this, we give you thanks. And may that very truth carry some here who are going through some really hard times right now some lonely times, some uncertain times, some confusing times. That whatever else they see, whatever else they hear from others, whatever life throws their way, that they would know through the still, small whisper of your voice that they are yours now and forever. We give you praise, all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand together.
And it is the Holy Spirit who fills us and guides us and leads us in the way of the Lord. Next week, we will continue our God in Me series. Also, uh, two weeks from tonight, uh, Pastor Ken and I are going to lead another Sunday Night Spotlight. These are expended teaching sessions that we uh, share with the congregation, uh, things we can't fit in on a Sunday and morning. And so uh, this, this time around, we're teaching about uh, more in depth on the Holy Spirit. And so we invite you, that's right here, the auditorium two weeks from tonight, October 30th. So as you go from here, you go with the assurance that the Holy Spirit gives you knowing that you belong to God both now and forever. God bless you.